Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Romans chapter 12. We have come to verse 7 of the 12th chapter. What's happening here, if you have been here as of late, you'll remember this. If not, let me just a couple sentences or two to kind of set the stage for what's happening. Paul here is writing to the church at Rome and he's giving a list in verses 6, 7, and 8 of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are gifts given by the Spirit. We're going to talk more about what they are in a little bit. But they're ways in which the Spirit of God works in and through the people of God to build up the church of God and to witness for Jesus Christ to the world. And so, what we looked at the last three Sundays that we were in Romans, we actually spent three weeks on the last half of verse 6, looking at the first gift in the list of seven. But fear not, fear not. We're not going to take three weeks per the other six gifts. Actually, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to try to plow through the other six gifts if that's possible, and we will move on here. In verse 6, Paul writes that we as believers have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And here's what we should do with them. Let us use them. And here's the first gift we looked at, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. We cover that. Let's go on to verse 7 and look at the other six. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what I want to do as we begin. The first thing that we're going to do is we are going to step in and look close at the what. The what is this. What did God say? What specifically did God inspire Paul to write? That's the what. That's what we're going to do first. We're going to step in and we're going to look closely at what was written and try to understand the words here before we move on to the second step. So let's look closely. Verse 7, that if the first gift here in verse 7 that is mentioned is the gift of serving. The gift of serving here, this word in the Greek, is a word that is primarily used in a general sense meaning it can include all time, all types of service unto the Lord. Acts chapter 6, give you a picture of that. Acts chapter 6, 
The church is exploding. The first church there in Jerusalem and the apostles, there are now thousands upon thousands of believers in a matter of months and the apostles are getting distracted in the primacy of what God called them to do, the prayer and the ministry of the word. And so they appointed Philip and Stephen. And that appointment of those two men were to the gift of serving. They were deacons. That's where we get the word deacon from, those who serve. They were distributing the food to the needy widows. Now, service is not relegated to just that. Again, it can include any act of service that is a ministry to the Lord and to His church. Those with the gift of service. I think about, I've been here, just talking to somebody between services. I've been here at Cornerstone coming up on in about four weeks, 26 years of ministry here. And over those more than a quarter of a century, I have seen so many people come through this church with the gift of service. Those with the gift of service, here's what they do. They meet needs where they find them. They fill holes as they encounter them in ministry. And I don't believe that the church would be anything compared to what it is if it weren't for those people with the gift of service that just with a selfless heart come along needs and look for ways to serve. And most of the time, gifts of service are behind the scenes, unnoticed. And because of that, so often unappreciated. But here's what I can tell you. Though you may not notice it, when those with the gift of service are using those gifts behind the scenes, if they stopped, you would notice it. You would, it would become so brutally apparent that there was a massive hole in the ministry of the church. Thank God for those with the gift of service. <clears throat> and let me make a point here that's going to apply to every other gift that we look at on this list. There is both the gift of serving and the call to be servants. Every follower of Christ is to be a servant. You don't get off the hook, oh, Pastor Brad, wow, got by that one, my gift is not the gift of service. No, that's not the way it works. Jesus Christ did not come, he said, to be served, but to, but to serve. And we are followers of Jesus. That means that we are to emulate the life of servanthood that he lived. We're to be servants. But there are some that the Spirit of God works within in an incredible way to step into roles of behind-the-scenes service wherever they're needed that is just an incredible ministry in the church. Praise God for them. Secondly, the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching. He who, the one who teaches in his teaching. This is a fairly self-explanatory gift, but it does need a little explanation. It's a very critical gift. It's a gift that 
is so influential in the body of Christ for the building up of the body. It has a great impact on the body when it's done in the power of the Spirit consistently. But listen, it's different than the ability to teach. There is a natural gift or a training or a skill of teaching. Many here, I'm sure some here, are school teachers or various types of teachers in vocations. That's not necessarily the gift of teaching. You see, the gift of teaching is a spiritual dimension. It has to do with taking the truth of God by the power of the Spirit of God and applying it, explaining it in such a way that it goes and gets into the minds of people and opens their minds to what they haven't seen and into the hearts of people and builds faith where there had been none and courage where it was lacking and on and on. It's a spiritual exchange. You cannot have a spiritual exchange with just the skill of teaching, but there are many with the skill of teaching that also have the gift of teaching. There's a lot of overlaps in characteristics there, but we desperately need those with the gift of teaching to use their gift because it unlocks something spiritually. It does something for the building up, the eternal building up of souls created in the image of God. The next gift is the gift of exhorting. It says there in verse 8, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. This is a very prolific word in the New Testament. It's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. But it needs explanation because the way that we use the word exhortation or encouragement is a dumbed-down version of the way the New Testament uses it. In our vernacular, it's kind of a attaboy, a pat on the back, a good job. That's very far from what the New Testament, the profound New Testament meaning of the word to exhort means. It is a word that is used in John 14, John 15, and John 16, just a few places, to refer to the Holy Spirit and the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. It's parakletos in the Greek. Parakletos. Here's what it means literally. To exhort means to come in alongside another person and saddle up next to them and help them wherever they have a point of need, to support them, to keep them moving forward, to help grow them in their faith, to counsel them in their distress or their uncertainty. Whatever it is, those are ministries that the Spirit performs, and it's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Those that have the gift of exhortation are those that the Spirit uses to come alongside of our lives. I can think down through the last 26 years of many people who have been incredible exhorters to my life. Two, Hugh Lee and Don Burns, two elders from the past that were a part of this church. 
in such an incredible way, what their lives did with mine is they came in. They just moved in beside me. And they said, Brad, we're going to walk with you. We're going to be your right hand. We're going to free you up to do what you need to do. We're going to support you in the things that you do. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to counsel where you need it. We're going to strengthen where you need it. We're going to roll up our sleeves when you need it. It's like Jonathan did to David in the Old Testament. There's a man in the New Testament by the name of Joseph who came to be known as Barnabas. And his name changed because Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was an incredible encourager. His life would move in beside people's lives. And what it says in the New Testament is that because of him, There was an incredible impact on the church in the first century. The church was built up in significant ways. And what Barnabas did to Saul is he came in beside Paul, the great apostle, and he walked beside him and he supported him and lifted him up and worked with him and prayed with him. Man, those with the gift of exhortation are incredible gifts to the church of God. And then there are those with the gift of contributing. That's the next gift, verse 8. The one who contributes is to do so generously. The gift of contribution here is the gift of giving resources to meet needs. Giving resources for the work of the kingdom of God. Now, again, let me say this again. If you don't have the gift of giving, it doesn't mean you don't give, right? All of the truths apply down through the list here. God gave us His all. We're to give back to Him out of the first fruits of all the increase that He gives us. It's the biblical principle. I'm not legalistic about the amount, the percentage, but I do believe that we need to be givers. Many people start at 10% in their giving. Maybe you don't want to start that high, but here's what you'll find. If you do give, you're going to find out God's got bigger, deeper pockets than you. I can promise you that. I promise you that. God gives, and our giving is just a recognition. It's not ours, it's His. And it's a recognition I'm dependent upon Him for every dollar in my pocket, every blink of my eye, every beat of my heart. You see, what giving does, it's an antidote to the death grip that consumerism wants to have on our lives. And when we give, it's like prying those fingers off of our heart. But then there are those that have the gift of giving. They give way more than 10%. 20, 30, 40, 50. It's a great story of a a great man of God that was incredibly 
wealthy. I think I've probably mentioned him before. Laterno, Laterno College trains those who operate heavy equipment. He was a reverse tither. He gave 90% of his vast wealth and income and lived on 10. He had the gift of giving to the kingdom of God. And then there is the last gift mentioned, the gift of mercy. Pretty self-explanatory gift. What the gift of mercy is, is someone with the gift of mercy comes alongside of others in their distress and in their need and finds ways to practically meet those needs. So that's the what. What did God say? We've looked in and closely at the what. What did God say? Now, here's the second thing I want to do. I want us to step back and take a wide-angle look now and ask the second question, the so what? What did God mean? You see, as we step back and we take a wide-angle view and we look at these gifts and others in the New Testament, spiritual gifts, and get a glimpse of them as a whole and how they work together, what will rise to the surface is some incredible truths about gifts that we don't see by looking close and in. So let's look, step back and get an overview picture. To do that, we're going to be looking back to verse 3. Of chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 3 to 8. But before we look at those verses, let me make a point and show you a few examples. There are four or five places in the New Testament where there are lists of spiritual gifts. Romans 12 is one. 1 Corinthians 12, first part of 1 Corinthians 12 is one list. The second part of 1 Corinthians 12 is another. Ephesians 4 has a list of some gifts, some offices of the church. But here's what you get as you step back and take a wide-angle view. We don't have time to do that this morning. But if we were to read all of those lists in Scripture, here's what you would see. And you'll see that a little bit here in the list we're looking at today. What you see is there is no rigidly defined list. There is not clear demarcation between gifts like they are compartmentalized and identified and different and separated from one another like you would picture gifts under a tree. Oh, there's one, and there's one, and there's one, and there's 27 under the tree. No, it's not like that with spiritual gifts. What you see as you take a wide-angle look is you see a lot of overlaps and a lot of one gift kind of moving into and fluidly running into or working with another gift to where it's hard to determine where one gift ends and where another gift begins. And it's hard to determine a very precise definition of a gift because there are words that are used that are used to describe two or three or four different gifts. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.9 that elders, when they teach, are to exhort when they teach. They, they are to exhort when they teach. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both the gift of teaching and the gift of exhortation are listed as two different gifts. But think about exhortation. Someone who comes in and alongside to build up and support and encourage. Doesn't teaching, in a sense, done in the power of the Spirit, come in alongside and bring courage and support and spur us on to move forward in our walk? Certainly it does. You see, there's overlap in this list of gifts. There's not clear demarcations, one gift to the next like a box here and a box there. I could give you several examples of that, but I'm out of time to do that this morning. But let me show you a truth from 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and then I'll try to make this point even more vivid. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul writes this. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit. We've looked at this verse a few times, but it's so central to the discussion. It says, to each To every believer, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To every believer, the manifestation of the Spirit of God is given for the common good of the body, the church. The gift is the manifestation of the Spirit in and through a Christian's life to bless other people. It's the Holy Spirit manifesting Himself in the life of that person. When something is manifest, here's what happens. It comes to light. It's known. It's seen. It shines forth. When we use our spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit shines forth. He gleams out. I'm going to give you an illustration to try to depict this, but I want you to listen carefully to my qualifier here. Any illustration that we use to try to describe the person and the work of the infinite God is going to come far short of perfectly doing that, right? So this is not going to be a perfect illustration, but it is an illustration, at least it does this for me, it helps put some things in perspective related to the gifts. How many of you have been out on a cold, brisk, dark Alaskan night and looked up and seen in the sky the vibrant, multicolored, captivating dance of the northern lights? How many of you have seen that? They're awesome. They move. Just think about the times that you have seen them. They move across the sky in really unpredictable ways, don't they? I mean, that's a really good word, right? They are really unpredictable in how they do what they do. At times, they can kind of look like the ebb and flow of a tide. And then, all of a sudden, they can look like a river winding 
through a canyon or like a characteristic of a snake moving through the grass. You ever seen that in the northern lights? It just kind of snakes through the sky. And if you have had an opportunity, I've been here 26 years. I've only seen northern lights with a few different colors. But if you have spent much time way up north, the Arctic Slope, there is some incredible displays of vibrant color, color that dances through the waves and the movement of the northern lights. And when that happens, it's not like a compartmentalized color, is it? It like, it kind of fades from one color to the next. It's hard to see where one color ends and the next begins. And that thing moves in this fluid motion. It's kind of like your hand that is serving and what's in the forefront is the hand that is serving. But as that hand serves, what's moving with and flowing with that hand? It's the arm behind the hand, right? They're in this fluid dance, this movement together. That really helps me in one aspect get a picture on how the gifts of the Spirit move in the church. You see, they are not these neatly defined, rigid categories. They're like this unpredictable movement of the Spirit of God, just how the Spirit of God wants it to happen. And they work in cooperation. And in one person, there can be this movement of one color, one gift that's working in perfect cooperation and tangent with another gift that that individual has or that another believer has. And they're kind of in this dance that is showing this scintillating beautiful picture of the movement of the Spirit of God as He manifests His glory and His power and does His work in the life of the church. That's a pretty cool picture. The point is that we need to be careful when we are studying spiritual gifts that we don't say, okay, I want to define exactly how many gifts are there and exactly what is the definition of every gift. It's not the way they work. There is this movement. There's this similarity. There's this overlap where prophecy has an aspect of exhorting and teaching has an aspect of exhorting. And when somebody performing the gift of mercy. When they use that gift, isn't there also an aspect of coming alongside and encouraging that person? See, there's some overlap in how the gifts work together. And that's a beautiful thing. Here's why. They all are from one Spirit. There's no division They're manifestations of the Spirit. He's one. He's the eternal God. And he has all these multifaceted truths about his grace. And those shine forth in a variety of ways through the people of God as they use their gift. And others are ministered to, never self, but others. And God is glorified as the Spirit does that dance, that work in the life of the church.
Is it any wonder why Paul says, use your gifts? In one sense, if you look at the structure of the sentences, he's saying that seven times. If it's prophecy, use it. If it's teaching, use it. If it's encouraging, just use it, use it, use it, use it. Critical the gifts are. Folks, here's the truth. The God of infinite glory, whose creative fiat knows no limits, does not fashion any two of us alike. Look around the room. There's not a you anywhere else. Look around the planet. There's not a you anywhere else. And that God with limitless creative fiat is the God who shapes and fashions and gifts us spiritually as well as physically. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Same author, writing to the church of Ephesus, Paul said, For we, the people of God, those justified, those saved, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now get your head around that. Listen to what that says. If you have been regenerated, made alive, saved, then what you are is uniquely and individually crafted by God. Listen again. We, the people of God, are God's workmanship. And why have you been individually and uniquely crafted? Because God fashioned you unique and He also fashioned unique good works for you uniquely to do. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would do. You see, He prepared these good works before He ever made you so that He could then make and shape and fashion you and save you and spiritually fashion you and then put these good works in front of you and you are the perfect one on the planet suited to do those unique good works that the sovereign God who superintends it all designed you to do and designed them for you. That's incredible. How significant does that make you as a child of God created individually and uniquely? You see, one of the truths Paul is highlighting here in Romans chapter 12, 1 to 8, is the fact that there is this specific plan of God for us. Now, let me show it to you in the greater context. We're going to see verses... We're going to actually go back to verse 2, Romans 12, 2 to 8. Now, I want you to open your Bibles, Romans 12, and I want you to watch closely as we look at this verse here, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes... Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul is telling us there 
how we can discern what the will of God is. The will of God about what? About who's going to win the World Series next year? No. The will of God about you. God wants you to know the will of God about you so that you can discern what His will is for you. Why? So that you can walk in it. So that you can live the life you created to live by God, the author of life. Then he says in verse 5, watch how this works. So he, God wants you to know what his will is for you. And then what does Paul move into? Right out of that context, he starts talking about the church and how we, verse 3, should think about ourselves. And in verse 5, he says that we are one body in Christ and each one of us has gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Here's the point. The gifts that differ. God gave us the gifts that He gives us when we're saved so that He can use us to do the good works He prepared in advance for us to do and the will of God for you that you can discern as good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12, verse 2, is you using your gifts to do exactly the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do so that your life fits like a glove with the plan of God that he prepared for your life. God wants you to know that. And that comes to fruition as you use the gifts that he's given you to do, to do the works that he's fashioned beforehand for you to do. Yeah, that's a good amen. That's a great amen. Our life is so significant when we see it like that. We're not just punching a clock on history's wall. We're in an eternal campaign with an eternal God to do some specific things in the little slice of time that we live in on earth. And then we're going to be with him forever seeing the grand tapestry of history and how our peace fit every other piece in the plan of God to develop this unbelievable picture of the manifold wisdom and glory of God that not only testifies to humanity, but to the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. That the Spiritual forces of evil are going to see all these pieces of the church and how God works in the church, and they're going to be unable to deny the manifold wisdom of God and how he did that over history with a bunch of different, unique people all painting one tapestry of his glory. Wow, wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you. That was pretty cool. God needs a hand clap for his truth. So here's what you're not going to find. Here's what you're not going to find. If you look at a list of the gifts, you're not going to find a consistent list. They're different. Here's what you're not going to find. You're not going to find a definitive list. 
Here's what you will find. Here's what you will find. You're going to find overlap. You're going to find a sharing. You're going to find words that describe more than one gift. You're going to find this union that works together related to the gifts. So just keep that in mind related to the gifts. Now I want to go to part B in answer to the question, what does this mean or what did God mean by what he said? The last three gifts in verse 8, I want you to zero in on them because an incredible truth comes out of the last three gifts. In the last three gifts, a qualifier is given on how to use the gifts that's different than the first four. Watch as I read, beginning with the one who contributes, Romans 12, 8. The one with the gift of contributing, the one who contributes, here's how he's supposed to do it or her, in generosity. The next, the one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the qualifiers of those three gifts. Contribute generously, lead zealously, do mercy cheerfully. Qualifiers on how to operate those gifts. Now let me show you how those are all shouting out the same truth. Take the first one. The gift of contributing is to be used in generosity. Now, we could look at that and say, in the English, wow, well, that just means that if you have the gift of giving, you need to give a lot. You need to give liberally. Well, it doesn't just mean that. There's two meanings in Scripture. Sometimes the meaning for the Greek word here is liberally, but in many other cases, it's this. Give with simplicity, meaning this. Give with singleness of purpose. Give without any other motive but this singleness of agenda and motive and purpose. Give without any other ulterior motive. And what is the motive to be? The motive is to bring glory to God in meeting other people's needs. That's singleness of purpose. That's giving generously or giving with simplicity, with singleness of vision and goal. That's how we are to give with the gift of giving. We are to give with singleness of mind and heart, not at all looking at ourselves. Let me show you the backside, the dark side of how this gift could be abused. There are those that could give generously so that they could build a reputation for themselves so that others would look at them and say, wow, or so that they could gain position in the church because they gave a lot. You're never to give generously for those reasons. Those are self-centered, not for others. When you give, you are to give generously, meaning with simplicity, without ulterior motives, not for self, but looking to Christ and seeking to help others to the best of your ability. That's the type of giving that is done generously. Secondly, watch how this one is similar. We are to lead, if our gift is leading, with zeal. 
How do you lead with zeal? Well, let me show you the, let me show you the dark side, the negative side. Oh, man, I got to go to work again today. I got to go to the church again today and counsel people and tell people about Jesus. I'm so tired of that. Is that zealously? Eh, no, it's not. What's zealously? Right on. Let's go. I can't wait to get to some people that need to hear about Jesus and share truth with them. I want God to use me to take a broken relationship and see it mended by his power instead of another statistic of divorce in the crumbling environment of our culture. I want to come alongside of some people that need mercy in the midst of distress, and I want to minister to them in such a way that I walk out of there, they're going, wow, this is a great day. You see, that's zeal. If you lead, lead with zeal. Lead with zeal. You want to do it. You desire it. You're after it. Doesn't that sound a lot like generosity with giving? Yeah, I am doing this joyfully in love. You see, that's the same thing as leadership. It's love in an overflow of joy when you lead with zeal. When it's giving, it's generosity in love with an overflow of joy. Something you want to do that rises up and bubbles up and pours out of you. Look at the last one. Mercy. Cheerfully. Let me show you the negative. Here's the negative. You gotta go to those people that are always in a problem again. That wears me out. No, no, that's not it. That's not how you extend mercy cheerfully. You come alongside of people and with love and an overflowing of joy. Your life splashes all over them and their countenance is lifted and their frown turns to a smile and their distress turns to joy because they've been around somebody that didn't treat them as kind of the second rate of society but actually valued and honored them and poured loving joy into their life. You see, every one of those qualifications has the same thrust behind it. And the thrust is love with joy. Isn't it interesting? This just hit me but right before while we were worshiping the second service before I came up here to preach, it just hit me. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Can somebody name the first two fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy. One way you can say that in the Greek, in the syntax of the sentence, is that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And here's the first thing that it looks like, joy. And then he lists several others. But Think about that. The first two things on the list are love and joy. Love and joy. How does the church grow and build itself up when every part does its part in love? It says in Ephesians. When gifts, spiritual gifts, are used in love, not begrudgingly, but generously, zealously, cheerfully, with joy, 
It impacts people's lives. And it's also interesting that the very next verse that we're going to come to in Romans 12, 9 is about what? It's about love. It's about love. So here's what we've got. We've got spiritual gifts the list of seven here and the list of nine in 1 Corinthians 12 and the list of eight in the second part of 1 Corinthians 12 and the list of five in Ephesians 5 or Ephesians 4. What we've got here is we've got words and actions. There's kind of two categories of gifts. Gifts that are speaking gifts that take place through words and gifts that are acting gifts that take place through service and a lot of overlap between them. And so what we've got in the gifts is that we've got this non-distinct list of gifts. And I believe what God is saying to us with that is there is a lot of gifts of the Spirit and a lot of ways that the Spirit uses and works through the people of God. And what God gave us is just some of those to teach us the principles, not for us to make our little lists and rigidly define them, but to just realize that there is an incredible creative God out there that does incredible things and working through His people to minister to His people. And so what you and I need to do is that we need to, in love, with joy, find ways to build the kingdom of God. And those ways that bring us great joy, that's probably your gifts. That's the way He wires us. He shaped us and fashioned us to do certain things. He gifted us in ways, Ephesians 2.10, to do these certain works and they're to be done in joy using those gifts. So doesn't it make sense that the God who crafts all of that is going to give you a heart's desire and joy to do the things that you were designed to do as you fulfill the good works he prepared in advance for you to do. Of course it makes sense. Last thing. I want to give you a summary now of Romans chapter 12, 3 to 8. This just helped me personally to work through what Paul was saying here. And so I spent some time and I came up with a statement. I'm not saying this is perfect. It's not Scripture in any way. But it's just a way to summarize for me to think through what Paul is communicating here. So here's what we've got in Romans 12, 3 to 8. We have the revealed will of God for the sons and daughters of God on living within the family of God. Let me say that again. What we have in Romans 12, 3 to 8 is the revealed will of God for the sons and daughters of God on living within the family of God. Now let me show you what that will is. Here's the summary statement. I'm going to read it and then I'll show it to you in these verses. 
in view of God's great mercy, verse 1 of Romans 12, all that he has done in view of God's great mercy, live humbly within Christian community. Verse 3. Live humbly within Christian community. Focused on Christ, valuing each one, meaning each one within the community, while contributing value yourself to the community by uniquely using your gifts with love and wholehearted, selfless joy. Let me read that quickly. In view of God's great mercy, live humbly within Christian community, focused on Christ, valuing each other while contributing value by uniquely using your gifts with love and wholehearted, selfless joy. Let me show you how that's in here. In view of God's great mercy, verses 1 and 2. Live humbly, verse 3. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Verses 4 and 5. Live humbly within Christian community. Why? Because verse 5, though we are many, we are one body. We are to live within Christian community. You are one. It's not something you generate. It's who you are. You're to live there in Christian community. God created you for that. In Christ Jesus, He recreated you for that. And then we are to live within Christian community focused on Christ because it says, so we, though many, are one body, where? In Christ. Christ has got to remain always central. So live humbly in Christian community focused on Christ and valuing each one. It says in verse 5, that we are individually members of one another. I'm a member of you. You're a member of me. I'm not an island into myself. I'm to value you. I'm to see every one of you as important. You're to see every other one as vital and important. Even if the things that they do externally doesn't seem as honorable as others, everyone is valuable because they are the shape and the gifting that God made them to be. And then we are to value each one while contributing value. Verse 6, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us. So here's what we need to do. Let us use them. We're to contribute value. We're to value everyone and to contribute value. How? By uniquely using your gifts. Verse 7 and 8, if service, serving, teaching, teaching, exhorting, exhorting, and on down through the list. How? With love and wholehearted, selfless joy. Contributing generously, leading zealously, showing mercy cheerfully. So here's the truth again. In view of God's great mercy, live humbly within Christian community, focused on Christ, valuing each other while contributing value by uniquely using your gifts with love and wholehearted, selfless joy. So let me close with this. Question number three. Now what? What must I do? Here's the application. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable. And in the parable he says, a master gave to three of his servants three different amounts of talents or gifts. 
to one five to one three to one one. Went away on a journey. Told them to use those and grow them. The one with five gained five more. The one with three gained three more. The one with one buried it in the ground so that when his master returned, he could give it back to him without having lost anything. And so the master returned and called them all to account. And the one with five gave back ten. And the master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. The one with three gave back six. And the master said the exact same statement, same reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And the one with one went and dug up his gift and he brought it back and he gave it to the master and said, I knew that you always get a return and I was afraid. And so I didn't do anything, but I'm giving it back to you having lost nothing. And what did the master say? Okay, well, at least you didn't lose anything. No, that's not what he said. Did he give a reward? No, he didn't. He pronounced the judgment. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. Folks, here's the point. God expects a return on his investment. And he didn't leave you to do it alone. It's a principle being taught. He gives you his spirit and he gives you gifts as a follower of Christ and the power to use them. And so if you take that and you bury it in the ground and you wait for Jesus to come back and you go dig that up and say, okay, here, Jesus, I'm giving you back without having lost anything. Jesus is not going to say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say that. It's going to be what he said to the last guy. So here's the application. Use your gift. It's not rocket science. You know who you are. You know how you're made up. Don't try to look for an exact pattern. Don't ever try to be Brad. Oh, please, one of me is enough. Be who God made you to be. Don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole. Use the shape and the character and the mix of gifts that God has given you and look for ways to serve and build up the body of Christ. And as you try to take that gift and use it, you're not going to squander it if you're really trying. The Spirit won't let that happen. He'll help you. And there will be a return on your investment so that when Christ returns, you're not going to be standing there saying, oh, here's back what you gave me, but I didn't make anything else. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Your pastor is telling you right now, think about that day. Don't be that person. Live for two words. Well done. If you get those two words, 
Whatever you've done in service, whatever you've labored in this life, in the twinkling of an eye, it's going to be paid back an infinite fold to you, and it will continue for all eternity. In other words, it's worth it. It's worth it. So use your gifts. We need each other to do that. Please stand, Father. Oh, Lord, I just I need to be done here, but I pray your spirit won't be. Apply the truth. Penetrate hearts and minds. Change lives. Call people up. Reveal giftings. Show opportunities of good works that you prepared in advance and give courage by the Spirit to step out in faith and begin to use those in love with overflowing joy so that the church can be built up. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.